Well, greetings, brethren. Hopefully I'm coming through loud and clear. I apologize for the little bit of a late start, but uh, just going from one meeting to another, client in a different time zone. And so, you know, they don't understand that it's supper time here. Anyway, we are ready to, to, to go forward. Uh, this evening, we are up to Judges, uh, chapters 12 and 13. And uh, we're going to finish the story of Jephthah and move now into the story of uh, Samson. So we'll, we'll begin with a, a word of prayer, and then let's uh, get into the study for tonight, and, and uh, we'll be more, Pastor Murray and I will be available uh, for the chat uh, afterward. So uh, let's just open with uh, a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, and we're just so grateful to you, Father, uh, for, the, the, for your word, for your truth, uh, for the solid rock that we have, the promises we have that we can stand on. Uh, this world is rapidly unraveling. Uh, people are losing their minds. They're becoming very anxious. Uh, it is a time when iniquity abounds. And, and the wicked are being successful. The wicked are gaining momentum. And, and for many, God, this is, this is unnerving. But for us, we can have the joy that comes from the understanding that's in your word. And so, Father, we ask that you will bless us now as we seek to uh, understand these former examples uh, so that we can learn from them, Father, upon whom the ends of the wor world have come. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And thank you for giving us each other. We ask your blessing on our understanding and our lives now as we seek to further uh, deepen our understanding and our faith. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, brethren, we are up to uh, Judges <clears throat> 12 and 13, and uh, we're just finishing the story of Jephthah. And so now, uh, we, last, last time where we ended with Jephthah was he was um, victorious in the battle, but he had made a vow. And uh, it, was a, it was a careless vow, and it was even a callous vow. And he did not expect that his, it would be his daughter that would meet him when he comes back from battle. And so he carried out that vow. And, and unlike you think of uh, Abraham, when Abraham was about to slay his son, God intervened and said, okay, I know you're faithful because God, God is the one that told him to do this. And God intervened to ensure that from that one son, Isaac, this, this innumerable multitude would come forth from the loins of Abraham. And now we have this very successful leader uh, in Gilead, uh, Ephraim, uh, in, in Gilead, um, Jephthah, and he has one offspring. And he's put himself in this situation now where he had to sacrifice the offspring, and you don't hear from God. God doesn't jump in to say, okay, you don't need to do this. We need to make sure that you have a seed. No, nope. that's the end of his story. And then we come into Judges 12 and uh, verse 1. Now the men of Ephraim, gathered themselves together. So remember, he, Jephthah has just been successful in the battle. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Why did you pass over to fight against the children of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? <laughs> we will burn your house upon you with fire. So this is absolutely astonishing. This, this is where Israel has degraded to. Instead of rejoicing, that an enemy of Israel, and I think it was 40 years, 
that they were persecuting the Israelites. Instead of rejoicing that an enemy of Israel has been vanquished and giving thanks to God, their pride is in the way. And it's like, how dare you do this and not allow us to have the glory? Don't, don't you know where... So Ephraim is the, the biggest tribe, the, the, the most glorious tribe, and, and they, they don't like this. And, and doesn't it sound really familiar when we were in chapter 8 with, with uh, Gideon, that when he was successful in battle, the men of Ephraim said unto him, why have you served us thus that you didn't call us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide him sharply. And, and he used diplomacy to say like, hey, what have I done compared to what you guys have done? You, you're the greatest. And then that, that kind of calmed them down. But here they're threatening Jephthah with burning him and everybody in his house with fire because they, he did not call them. And Jephthah, although he's capable of diplomacy, we saw that in the previous chapter, he doesn't use diplomacy here. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And, and Jephthah has this great ability to put things in context. And when he was uh, challenging the king of Ammon, he put the, the battle in context. Like, where are you coming from? This is the context. So he did seem to be a, a big picture thinker. And, and is able to provide context. And he said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. So I, I did call you and you didn't help. And when I saw that you delivered me not, I put my life in my hands. So th this is real. Like I, I, This wasn't a, um, a just superficial to me. I, I, I put myself at risk. So you, you didn't help me, and we're in great distress. So I put my life in my own hands, and I passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. So, And this is really what Gideon should have said. So Gideon wanted to take the credit for the victory. Uh, so, you know, so Gideon, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. But here it's like, hey, what are you, what are you having? A, uh, you're upset with me. Uh, I had to do this, and God intervened and delivered them into my hand. Why then are you come up unto me this day to fight against me? And this is significant because, again, we're going to learn from the ancient examples, and we know that in the end time, Christ tells us, brother will betray brother. And what we're seeing here is pride. Remember, the Ephraimites are, are brothers of the Gileadites. They're all Israelites. Why are they talking about burning down each other's houses and destroying each other? Well, pride. And so whenever we have these feelings of animosity, feelings of despising one of God's little ones, somebody is victorious in the Lord, and instead of rejoicing that, hey, they're victorious in the Lord, we despise them. We want to, bring them, we want to destroy them because, hey, it should be us. So we can learn from these ancient examples, and, and pride is Satan's problem. And so he injects that problem into man. And we as God's people who observe the holy days and we observe unleavened bread annually, we rehearse unleavened bread annually, we rehearse the Passover annually, we should be able to spot pride and we should be able to work against it, especially if it's stirring us up where you mention somebody's name who's victorious in the Lord and we despise them, we hate them, we hope they can be destroyed. We need to, especially in this, the context of the prophecy, that says, ultimately, brother will betray brother. We need to watch that.
So he's saying like, he's basically saying, what's your problem? What's your problem? Then Jephthah, so he, he decides to do something about it. They've threatened him with burning him, him and his family, uh, burning down their house. He's saying like, I don't get it. Like, what's your problem here? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead. Remember, he's the leader now. And they told him, you'll be our leader. So he's more or less the king of Gilead. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. This is where we've got. These are the men that have inherited the promised land. And their feet are now on the promised land. And this is where we are. He gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. So you're, you're on our, our territory and you're fugitives and, and you're nothing. And so Jephthah now, think of them as, as an army general, he's able to gather his people and fight against the Ephraimites. And he, he, he slays them even though they're supposed to be the fugitives. And the Gileadites took passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And so they're cutting off the, the passages or the main passageways or bridges. And it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, are you an Ephraimite? And he said, no, 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 I'm not an Ephraim. So, so even though Gilead is not on their home territory, they've gotten the upper hand. And I guess uh, Jephthah is very strategic. They've gotten the upper hand. As Ephraim is now fleeing and trying to get back to you know, safety, they're able to cut them off and control the passageways. And in controlling the passageways, now remember again, these are all Israelites. They ask him, okay, are you an Ephraimite? Now, just the fact that he had to ask the question, that should tell us something. It means it wasn't obvious. These are all Israelites. So, so you know, if they're different races, let's say, or they're different heights, you think of the um, uh, Rwanda and the Tutsis and the Hutus. You know, the Hutus were short and stocky and dark, and the Tutsis were tall and slender and light-skinned. And so you just have to look at somebody and you know, okay, you're from a different tribe. But here, looking at the Ephraimites doesn't tell them anything. So they actually have to ask, are you an Ephraimite? And he said, no. So there's nothing in your appearance that tells us otherwise. So we've got another test for you. Then said they unto him, say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. So as you're in different territories, uh, different dialects emerge. Uh, so, you know, if you think of your home country, wherever you might come from, you know, whether it's America or uh, Caribbean or Africa or Europe, that there are these different pockets and the accent is different. And there are some words you just can't quite say because from birth you didn't talk that way. And so those vocal muscles are not developed. And so say this word, there's a way the Gileadites would say it, where they would say shibboleth. And if you were not from that region, you couldn't pronounce it like that. So he tries, but he ends up saying shibboleth. And this is the only detection they have. It's not the way he's dressed. It's not the way he looks. It, it, it's even, even the way he speaks, that's not enough. It's just certain words. So we've got to bring it down to the certain words. And this is where today in our 
current situation, the notion that if we just eliminate everybody who's of another race, then life is going to be paradise because everybody who has the same race as us thinks the same way and has the same heart. Well, sorry. That's just not the case. And here, even the people of Israel hate each other. And they find a reason to hate each other. And it's come down to, you can't say this word the way we do, therefore we know you're, you're not of our tribe. So we're in a time of tribalism. The world is going tribal. What's your tribe? Because if your tribe is not the church of God, you're in big trouble. If you have another tribe that's more important to you than the church of God, you're going to go tribal. And in that sense, your tribalism is going to be satanic. You're going to be satanically motivated and you're going to be satanically manipulated. But if you're of the tribe of the church of God, you will be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And to be tribal in the Holy Spirit is actually to become self-sacrificial. So instead of wanting to destroy other tribes, like Christ, you are willing to die for, for others. You're willing to sacrifice yourself for others. So you don't come into the tribe of the church of God to look down on everybody else and think how somehow you're superior. You come into the, the, the body of Christ to be like Christ. And we will, first of all, lay down our lives for those in the body. We would never, ever, ever, if moved by the Holy Spirit, we would never, ever, ever put some other form of tribe ahead of the body of Christ. That's our tribe. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter how tall they are, how short they are, when they were born, where they were born. None of that matters. We discern the Lord's body by the Holy Spirit. And once we've discerned the Lord's body, we're ready to die for it. We will lay down our lives for our friends. We would never betray. But not only that, we have a willingness to, to love our enemies. So to be part of this body, to be part of this tribe, it's not the satanic nature of or, or, or um, characteristic of tribalism, which is very insular and full of hatred for anybody who's in the outgroup. When you're part of the body of Christ, yes, we discern the difference between those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't, and we're willing to lay down our lives for those who do. But not only that, that, that just trains us to love. Loving our brother in Christ just teaches us the truth and the, the reality of agape love. And once we develop that, we have it for all mankind. So here we are in Israel, in the promised land, with Israelites hating each other. So we cannot be so naive to be manipulated, to think that any tribe outside of the Holy Spirit tribe is somehow meaningful to us in, in its true unity. It's not. So much so that Christ says, even your own family will betray you. Then said they unto him, Say now Shibboleth, and he said Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Now what's the consequence of not being able to pronounce this word in the right way? Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. So they kill him, and then what happened? And there fell at that time of the Ephraimites 42,000. So because of their pride, what's that proverb? Pride goeth before a fall. Because of their pride... They challenged the wrong man. And because of his pride, he didn't take it lying down. 
and and he was willing to, to and he had control over all these Gileadites. They pledged that the, he would be their leader, and he marshaled their abilities to slay his own brethren. This matters to us, brethren, because Christ tells us that in the end time, brother shall betray brother. Brother shall cause brother to be put to death. And so what we see here is, oh, once pride gets in your heart, pride in anything other than Christ. Let him who glories, glories in this, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. So our glory is Christ. But if our glory becomes something else, it becomes another tribe, and we have glory in that, we are candidates for satanic manipulation and ultimately the slaughter of the body of Christ. 42,000 Ephraimites died. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then died Jephthah the Gileadites and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. So he had six years of reigning over. Uh, and remember, they hated him, they rejected him, and then they went running after him. Uh, but he wasn't perfect. And people are not perfect. And part of the lesson that we want to understand here in studying judges is God will use imperfect people. And the reason he will use imperfect people is because he loves Israel. He's in covenant with Israel. So remember, Israel has taken God to the end of his patience, but he's in covenant with them. And so there's no indication, the, the, the writer of Judges never says, God raised up Jephthah. The people went and selected him. They remembered that he was a uh, a very courageous and valiant man. And so they went after him and they made him their leader. And then in that role, God then it eventually uses him, puts his Holy Spirit on him. He works within the human system. And I'm saying this because people do not understand how important the United States of America is globally to all of us. I don't live in America. I'm, I'm British, British Canadian. I'm not American. But if I look at the thing Globally, this is the one country that is standing in the way of globalism. And God hates the globalism that Satan wants to bring. And he hates what it's going to do to his people. When, when this totalitarian regime gets the upper hand, watch out. It, it, God is putting it off as long as possible. So for all of you who hate Donald Trump, all I can say to you is, it's not about the man. It's about God's people and God wanting to give people as much time as possible to repent and God wanting to give his, his body as much time as possible to do the work and to bear fruit and to turn people to repentance because the night comes when no man can work. So here Jephthah's this mixed bag. He's got some characteristics that are good, but he's got a lot of characteristics that are not so good. And yet God used him. He's in the hall of fame or the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. The faith chapter, he gets honorable mention. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, another mixed bag. We read Gideon's career. We read about his life. He was no perfect man. And, and of Barak, Barak was not perfect either. Very fearful. And yet these men did works of faith. And of Samson, we're just about to read Samson. The next few chapters now, we're going to examine Samson's life. Oh boy, <laughs> wow. Uh, how, how he made it into the hall of faith, that's, that's amazing. But at the end of his life, 
And we're going to read about his life here, and it's shocking. Talk about an unfaithful man. Talk about a disaster of an Israelite. Talk about an absolute failure of an Israelite. And yet at the end of his life, he acted in faith on behalf of God's agenda. And so he's recognized in the hall of faith. We're not, we're not looking for perfect people. You know, people will, will tear somebody apart because they have flaws. I, I, you know, can we publish your flaws? Can we examine your life? What if we spend $50 million and, all, and spare no expense and resource to examine your life and publish every detail we find that's unflattering? And yet here you are, here I am. God wanting to use us and maybe mention us in the future in the hall of faith. And of Samson and of Jephthah. Of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. So all these men that are mentioned in this chapter have performed works of faith that get God's attention and, and God's gratitude. And he wants it known. So Jephthah is in the hall of faith. By faith... They passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians tried to do were drowned. And so they go on to say, all these men of Israel, what they were able to do by faith. So Jephthah's in there, and Samson's in there. We're going to study Samson's life. Now, in 1 Samuel 12, and verse 11, clearly it says the Lord sent Jeroboam and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt safe. So clearly, in Samuel, Samuel's clear, that Jephthah was sent by God. But nowhere does it say that God raised him up. Because here even in, in um, Judges, when we read, uh, or here in 12, actually um, I was going to show you in, a, in chapter 11, where the Holy Spirit comes upon Jephthah. So it's it, you know there's a certain point in Israel's decline where God now has to act in order to preserve the nation, and He puts His Spirit on this man. Now Samson is different. As we read about Samson, we're going to see that God raised up Samson. God had a, a design on Samson from birth, but there are other prophets like Othniel, where and in Gideon, where God is clearly in the picture and raises them up. But by Jephthah, there's an alienation with the nation. God has basically written them off, but not completely. And so he puts his spirit on Jephthah to perform these mighty deeds uh, to, to, to save Israel. So we have to see, like, is it possible today when you see somebody in an office where the whole world is against him and trying to destroy him? And if they're successful, it's not him they're after. It's the nation of America to bring it down. And then with that goes their constitution and the, the moral compass that, that they have based on Scripture, which is to say, and this is, this is the unique thing about America, that man has rights that are God-given, and therefore no government can take them away. <laughs> this, is, this, is in their found, this is in their founding documents. And not only does man have rights that no man can take away, but man is flawed, and therefore it's not safe to give any one man complete control over others because it will, it will remove the rights that God gave that man. So therefore, we, because the nature of man is flawed, therefore we need checks and balances. So there's all kinds of checks and balances built into the design of America to preserve the freedom of man. You don't get this with other nations. and This is why they need to remove America 
and bring down America. And unfortunately, some of us are helping. Some of us don't understand the agenda, and we're happy when we see America decline. But Christ says, lawlessness shall abound. And that means the wicked have to succeed. That means the wicked have to make progress in order for abundance of wickedness to take place. So let's be careful who and what we're supporting. So here um, we see the career of some other judges now, back in um, Judges 12 and verse 8. So after uh, Jephthah, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. And he had 30 sons and 30 daughters. So unlike Jephthah, who had no offspring, the one daughter he had, he himself killed. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters whom he sent abroad and took in 30 daughters from abroad for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. And I think the intent here um, or, or the implication is he is mixing with the other tribes of Israel. And he's forming these alliances with the other, for, other tribes of Israel so that he can have uh, a more secure position. Then died Ibsen and was buried at Bethlehem. And after him, Elon, a Zebulonite, judged Israel. And he judged Israel 10 years. So we don't get any details. I mean, these men did things. And they saved Israel. They're many saviors. But in the storyline that's, that's uh, following here, and that the, the, the um, writer wants us to understand, it's just these are just other judges. We know that their purpose is to save Israel. And so that's, that's what happened. I mean, this one judged Israel uh, seven years. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters, made lots of alliances. So he must have done something, but it's, it doesn't help the storyline. Then died uh, Ibsen and was buried at Bethlehem. And after him, Elon, a Zebulonite, judged Israel. And he judged Israel 10 years. So again, 10 years, there's a lot that can happen in 10 years. Uh, we don't get much. So Elon, the, Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried in Aijalon in the country of Zebulun. So again, no details. And after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, a Parathonite, judged Israel. So this is a place in Ephraim, so he would be an Ephraimite. And he had 40 sons and 30, says nephews, it's really grandchildren, that rode on threescore and ten donkeys. And he judged Israel eight years. So that's a, that's a position of prestige. And you remember the wealth of uh, Gideon, that he had 70 sons, uh, had many wives. And then remember Yer, uh, a Gileadite, he judged 22 years. And he had 30 sons that rode on donkeys. Uh, and they had 30 cities. And so it's a, it's a position of prestige. So these, these judges are now becoming very uh, prestigious. And Avdon, the son of, uh, back to Judges 12, Hillel, the Parathonite, died. And again, no, no details here of what happened during their reign. Things happened, not important to the storyline and was buried in Parathon in the land of Ephraim. So he was an Ephraimite in the Mount of the Amalekites. Now, chapter 13. We've heard this before, but let's go over it again. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. So whatever these judges were doing, obviously they were successful. Because when Israel is not successful when they're being persecuted, when they're being destroyed, that's when they remember to cry out to God. And, and some of us are like that. You know, when things are going well, we don't remember God. But when we're in trouble, oh, I'll do this and I'll do this, and this is human nature. So whatever these judges did for the period of time that they were judging Israel, they were obviously pushing back 
the, the, the Gentile nations and, and pushing back the, the persecutors of Israel. And so now in that abundance, what does Israel do? They return to their evil. And the children of Israel did evil again in whose eyes? In the sight of the Lord. This is really important language, and, and Pastor Murray addressed this in his sermon on Sabbath, that their conscience was not bothered by what they were doing. In, in their mind, they were doing very well. We're keeping the Sabbath, we're keeping the holy days, we're really good people. And they're getting caught up in what's going on around them. They're getting pulled into the, the, the society around them. And in God's eyes, these things that the people around them, that God said, go in and clear these people out of the land, these things that these people around them are engaged in are abominations, and they're getting caught up in it. And this is where, again, we have to be careful. These things are written for our example, so that we do not lust after evil things. And if we get caught up in what's going on around us, we're going to begin to want things that are evil in God's eyes. We're going to associate with things that are an abomination in God's eyes. But we don't see it that way. We have another explanation. And so, you know, you, you, you talk to somebody about what they're doing and what they're participating in and what they're supporting, and they've got all kinds of rhetoric, and it sounds good, but that doesn't matter. What matters is, are you bearing fruit? And you will not be able to bear fruit if you are not fed by God's word. If you begin to abandon God's word and replace it with other words, you're, you're, you become useless. I become useless. And we, get, we don't notice because it's so gradual. It's so, and our children come up in this society, in the, the people around, and they start using the same language as the people around and the same customs. And we end up in this syncretism where we're, we're mixing the worship of Jehovah with the pagan religions. And we think it's okay because, well, we are still keeping the Sabbath, still keeping the holy days, so I still give my offerings, still keep my, send my tithes, but we're doing other things. That God is looking and he's saying, this is evil. So despite their clear conscience, when God is looking at them, he says they've returned to evil. And the Lord said so then, because they've returned to evil, who does it? The Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So God does this. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually. From one year to the next, there are certain forces in our society that are gaining momentum. And because it happens gradually, each year, we compare it to where things were the year before. Or each week, we compare it to where things were the week before. What we don't do is say, where were we 40 years ago? And where are we now? Who had the upper hand 40 years ago? And who has the upper hand now? And where is this leading? Where will, what will the next 40 years bring? We need to be able to think in terms of these timelines, this, these trajectories, because that's how God works. So over time, we see Christianity waning and Christian influence waning. And we see the influence of other organizations globally gaining strength, gaining momentum. And then we have to ask ourselves, okay, when they're in a position of complete power, 
because that's where it's heading. We're sort of one is going down, the other is going up. It's kind of, you know, because we're, we're here and the other forces are here and we still think we have the upper hand, but we're not looking at the direction. Directionally, we're going down. Directionally, they're going up. At some point, we cross and they get the upper hand. Are they going to believe in family? Are they going to believe in morality? Are they going to enjoy Christ being honored when the honor of Christ condemns their lifestyle as an abomination? So God is the one who hands over power. And nobody can have offices of power without God's permission. So there's, again, the election coming up in November. I think we have brethren that if Donald Trump loses, they will be furious, maybe even become violent. Maybe this could participate in civil war. And certainly we have brethren the other way as well. We can't do this. We pray. The scripture tells us to pray for kings so that we can live peaceable lives and do the work of God. So we certainly pray, but we don't fight. And we certainly don't kill. And we certainly don't cause others to be put to death. So let's be thinking about these things. And we accept God's will. That... God is judging the nations and he's bringing about his strange work, his marvelous work. And so we are here as his servants. And if we're useful to him, he's going to protect us while we're useful to him. And then like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're not careful to answer. If it's our time, it's time to go, it's time to go. But let's finish strong. Everybody has to die. So, okay, let's get over that. How do you die? Do you die honorable? Or do you die despised and, and like a reject of God? And then there's no eternal life. This is, this is fleeting. What we're after is eternal life with God and upholding and glorifying Christ. And that's going to become difficult as God gives the upper hand to wicked men who are waxing worse and worse and gaining in power and control and succeeding so that iniquity can abound and flourish. So God delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites. So now he's gone into the tribe of Dan, God has, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, you are barren. God is watching the whole situation. And now he's going to act on Israel's behalf. Again, even though when I read Judges, I'm like, okay, God, I don't understand. You know, why haven't you cut these? Why, why, why didn't the Bible end at Judges? And the only thing, I have to go back to Deuteronomy and say, oh, he's in a covenant. They may break the covenant, but he's not going to break the covenant. He's made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Israel. And he's going to fulfill that promise through these people. So despite their unfaithfulness, God will remain faithful. So he says to the woman, Behold, now you are barren and bear not, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, beware, I beg you, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. This is the mother. She cannot do this. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, 
and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So they, the Philistines have been oppressing Israel for 40 years. Now God is going to raise up this, this man, and it's probably going to be another 20 years before Israel can really fight back. But God is, it's all in the design. So there's patience required. For, God doesn't act overnight. Now, the man, God tells the woman, he's going to be a Nazarite. So you can't drink wine or eat grapes. Uh, and when the boy is born, he has to take this vow from, from birth to be a Nazarite. And this is coming from Numbers 6. And if you're familiar with the Rastafarian movement, uh, it's rooted in this scripture. So Numbers 6 and verse 1, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, and I'll say it's rooted, it's a misunderstanding, that this is a, temp this is a temporary vow. In Samson's case, it was in fact to be a lifetime vow, but any Israelite could make this vow. And it could be for a period of time, and then when that time is complete, then they, 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 they come out of the vow. And you see that in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto, this is number six in, in the Torah, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either a man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall, and here are the conditions, separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine, or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled, in which he separates himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. So this is these are the conditions of the vow. Now, what we're going to see with Samson as we study his life and his career is he breaks all of them. At, like he actively violates every single condition of this oath, and yet God still uses him. God, God had a plan to. God loves Israel, and even if he has to use flawed human beings to save Israel, that's what he'll do. Now, talk about a flawed human being. This may be the most flawed human being, the most flawed Israelite. Uh, I, I don't. I don't I won't say. I won't say categorically, but he's he's in the running. If we were to have a contest to say who gets the most flawed Israelite award, well, we'd have to put Samson in the running. So remember these conditions because he's going to violate them all. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, "A man of God came unto me." And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. In fact, we believe this is a theophany, an appearance of Christ himself. So Christ himself is intervening in the life of Israel. A very terrible. But I asked him not where he came from or neither told me his name. So don't ask me. I know you're going to ask me. Don't ask me. I didn't ask. But he said this unto me. Behold... You shall conceive. So they've been trying, and it's very obvious when a couple in Israel is barren, because they were all about having children and reproducing, and this woman has no children. And so this man uh, came to me and said, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So this is very unusual. God is saying, look, from the moment he's born until he dies, from the moment he's born until he dies, 
he's to be he's to lead, lead uh, the life of a Nazarite and, and have this vow to God because he's holy he's set from birth he has been set apart for a special purpose now as we watch his life he's going to violate all the conditions but God still uses him and he still ends up in the hall of faith then Manoah and this is very encouraging so uh, this man obviously is a, a a good man Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, let the man of God, which you did send, come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. So he realizes the, the magnitude of the responsibility and he, he, he entreats God and says, okay, we accept this, but please, can, can the man come back and actually tell us what, what we are to do, how we are to uh, handle this? This is quite a responsibility. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. So that, that shows you how to pray. You know, when we have these big responsibilities on our shoulders to, to seek God's guidance, show us how to do this. And God, God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came unto, again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband. And said unto him, Behold, the man has appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. You can imagine the excitement, like, hurry, hurry, he's here. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Are you the man that spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. So we accept what you've said. How, how shall, but here's a question. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do unto him? Like if what you're, so it's not even if, we know what you said is true, help us. This is a big responsibility. What should we do with the child so that we do our part in fulfilling the child's holiness? And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. So make sure she follows exactly, I, I spoke to her, make sure she does what I said. She may not eat of anything that comes of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any, clung, any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. You can be sure that Manoah made sure that she followed these instructions and that together they were very cautious to do these things. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I beg you, let us detain you until we shall have made ready a kid for you. So you see the hospitality of this man. Um, and this is, this is not fast food. This is not, um, you know, let us just uh, put on the barbecue and flip a burger and we can just take a bite before you leave. This is going to take some time to, to prepare all of this. And he's saying, you know, fellowship with us while we do this. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat of your bread. So yes, I will stay with you. I just won't eat anything from you. And if you will offer a burnt offering, you must offer it unto the Lord. So I will accept from you a burnt offering for the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. So as they're having this interaction, he just appears like a man. So are you the man that spoke to my wife? And he just seems like a normal man. And Manoah doesn't realize this is, an, this is an angel of the Lord 
or we could even say the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is your name? And when your sayings come to pass, that when your sayings come to pass, we may do your honor. Manoah has no doubt. Manoah is not saying, like, if this happens, um, you know, I want to just get back in touch with you and let you know that it actually happened. It's like, no, I, what, I accept what you've said. We're going to do exactly what the Lord commanded. Um, and when it happens, we want to do you honor. So what's your name? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, why do you ask thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock to the Lord. So he accepted that it's none of his business, what the name of this angel is. But he did go ahead with the offering. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. So maybe that has something to do with how the burnt offering was consumed. Uh, but they're watching this and it's just miraculous. For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Like he thought he was talking to a man. And now when, the, when he accepts the offering and it's burnt up, he goes up in the flame with the offering to God. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. Like, this is astonishing. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. So he realized, okay, this was supernatural. And Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die. Why would they die? We shall surely die. Why do they believe they will die? Because we have seen God. So, so they realized, like, this, this was supernatural. We have actually been in contact with God. So this is where we see that this is a, a theophany, that this is Christ himself. And, and he's, you know, angel of the Lord. We think in English, angel. But it's really the messenger. In, in Hebrew, it's the messenger of the Lord. And, and Christ is the Logos. But his wife said unto him, so she now has to talk some sense into him, because he's, he's like, we're dead, we're, we're dead, this is it. We, we're actually in contact with God. But his wife said unto him, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. So remember Cain. So Cain made his offering, God didn't accept it. So she's like, well, wait a minute, he did accept the burnt offering. So if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have shown us all these things, nor would, as at this time, have told us such things as these. So she's basically saying to him, use your head. <laughs> you know, this is a, think about it. Uh, how could God be displeased with us? He's got a plan. He's got a plan for our son. He's got a plan for us. We have to just do what he says. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So remember, he is a Danite, and now we see the Spirit of the Lord very early on being involved with him. So he's not like the other boys, he's not like the other men, he's not like the other Danites. There's something about him which is special. 
and even his appearance, obviously, from birth being a, a Nazarite, he's going to have the hair. He's just going to look different. He's going to behave differently. They don't. He doesn't get involved in the, the drinking of wine or the eating of grapes or certain things that he shouldn't be doing. And his parents are going to be careful about that when he's young. And then the Spirit of the Lord, because he's holy and set apart, the Spirit of the Lord is moving him at times. And Samson, so he's a special child. And... The danger now, so these, these parents, they didn't ask God, you know, what do we do? And the instructions were to keep him holy. But he was special. And, you know, she was barren. And this is their only child. So it's probably not much of a stretch of an imagination to say he was spoiled. And probably ended up with the, the Absalom syndrome, how David spoiled Absalom. And when we spoil our children, they're spoiled. They begin to think they're the center of the universe. And that's what happened to Samson. So Samson becomes very narcissistic, very self-centered, uh, very impulsive, as he as he's a special person, and, and he's unique. And so Samson went down to Timnah, Timnath and saw a woman of Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. So these are the oppressors of Israel. These are the Gentiles. And so he now goes into this Gentile town and he sees a Philistine woman and she caught his eye in a lustful way. So there's something about her face, something about her body, something about her clothing, just caught his attention. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. And this is an indication as well, again, that he's, he expects them to do this. He doesn't come and say, you know, I saw this woman and I'm really attracted to her. What do you think? He's not looking for advice. He's giving them instructions. You go and do this. And so again, you can see what happens when we spoil our children. They frighten us when they get older. We, we have to be training our children in such a way that when they get older, they become decent human beings with good character and good moral values and, and respect. Uh, he does not have respect for his parents. So you go and get her for my lust. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all your people <clears throat> that you go to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Like They didn't understand. Like, there's so many Israelite women all around, so many Danite women. You could even go outside the tribe, and there's so many other tribes and, and Israelite women. Can't you ever find one of them? Why are you going to the Philistines? So they were confused by this. And the uncircumcised Philistines, you're going to bring that into Israel? And again, you know, <laughs> within the church, we do the same thing. We go outside the tribe. And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Like, I, I'm just like, I'm just, I can't think of anything else. She pleases me well. And we need to be careful about this. This can happen. We need to govern ourselves. I remember when, when I met my wife, I was very, very careful to be, be sure, is this, is this the right person before I allow my emotions to take over? I was very careful. And then when I saw all the right signs and the good character, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, this is the one. I knew that this can happen. You just get taken over. And then for our women out there, you have to be careful. 
men can have this lust for you, and then once they have you, they hate you. You think of that um, one of the, the sons of uh, David, and, and uh, I think it was T- Tamar, and he just couldn't think of anything else but her until he had her, then he hated her. So this lust is very, very dangerous and very fleeting. And even David himself, where Nathan had to say to him, like, You're this, this wandering man came and took the one lamb that, that the man had, even though he had a hundred, had, had, had his own. Uh, this wandering lust has to be governed, this, this, this evil nature, this evil inclination. And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. So God is allowing this to play out. Even though this is a flawed man, it's, it's like you're thinking, think of a chess game. And again, the chess master, he has a strategy, but there's an opponent. And the board begins to unfold in not exactly the way the strategy called for, but the chess master was ready for that. So if it goes this way, we'll do this. If it goes this way, we'll do this. So, so this man now is, has this lust, and God is like, okay, I can use this. Allow it. I can use this that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And God doesn't. God wants to release them from this bondage. Then went Samson down, and his father and his mother, to Timnath. So they, they uh, acquiesced, and they're now going to do their son's will. And came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. Imagine that. You see a lion roaring. And Proverbs 30, 30 says, a lion which is strongest among beasts and turns not away for any. So these, these are powerful creatures. And so Samson's on his way to Timnath, and he sees this lion. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore him as he would have torn a kid. And he had nothing in his hand. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. So he knew he had this special strength. So the same way like the typical man might be able to pull apart a small goat and pull its legs apart. Here he's confronted by a lion and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and gives him this special strength and he's fearless and he's able to take down the lion and pull it apart like it's nothing. But he doesn't tell his parents about it, but he's aware that he has this special strength. And he went down and talked with the woman. So imagine the the sweet talking because he's just smitten. He's just like, wow. Can't believe this woman, the, 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 she's exotic. And the way she moves and looks and dresses and talks. And so he's talking with the woman and he's just, in, he's just enraptured. And she pleased Samson well. It's like, wow. And after a time, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. So this is a dead this is the dead lion now, and he's on his way back, and he sees the honey. And remember his vow, he's going to break every condition of the vow. So here we go. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating. He's not supposed to touch a dead body. So he's eating out of the dead body. He's just full of his own impulses. He's, he's the special one. The world, the world revolves around him. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So he, he knows, and maybe the mother is keeping her vow, continuing to keep the vow, but he doesn't tell them anything. He just gives them the honey. 
And there's also, you can see in there, something's wrong in the relationship. This man is narcissistic, totally self-centered, only his perspective matters. And, and even you see there's a breakdown with his parents. So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men to do. So this is a marriage ceremony now, and the father is like, okay, if this is what you want, I'll help you. So the father's going through the marriage ceremony or process with him, and uh, there's, there's a feast now. And it came to pass, when they saw him, that they brought him 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If you can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast, so this marriage feast would go on for seven days, so if you can, um, I'm going to give you a riddle, and if you can tell me the riddle before the end of the seven days and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. So he's having a bit of fun, a bit of sport, and he wants to know if they can figure this out. But if you cannot declare it to me, then shall you give me 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth your riddle, that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. So they're trying, like, what does this mean? Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. So three days go by, they can't figure it out. And it came to pass on the seventh day, so they're running out of time now, and then they're going to have to enrich Samson uh, when they, could have, they thought this was going to be easy, they could, they could get this riddle. So now on the seventh day, they realize, okay, we're in trouble. It came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Didn't Ephraim threaten Jephthah with this? This is what happens when you're in a society. You pick up their morals. You pick up their behavior. So this is something that these people would do, just burn down the house with fire with the people in it. And so that's where we see Ephraim got this. Now, because that wasn't an Israelite custom. Now, these people, this is, this is their own people. They're telling this woman, we're going to burn your house down with your family unless you tell us, unless you entice your husband. Have you called us to take what we have? Isn't it so? Like, we're going to lose our wealth here. And this is your fault. You're the one who brought this guy into our territory. And Samson's wife wept before him and said, you do but hate me. I'm going to be burned with fire. Like, if you cared for me, you said all this sweet talk, pillow talk, love talk, you say how much you love me, but you don't. Because now I'm going to be burned with fire, my whole household. You do but hate me and love me not. I don't, all, that, all those words, I don't accept them. You have put forth a riddle unto the children of my people, and you haven't told it to me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it to my father nor my mother, and shall I tell it to you? I haven't told anybody. So don't feel bad here. And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted. So this is supposed to be a joyful occasion. And uh, she's just really torn up over this. And so there's no joy. And it came to pass on the seventh day, he finally he told her, because she lay sore upon him. And she told the riddle to the children of her people. So finally uh, they, they found out in time. 
And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down. So when the sun goes down, that's the deadline. But they managed to catch it before the sun went down. What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. So you broke the rules. You went outside of the rules of the contest. And that's how you found out. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon. And he slew 30 men of them. So he has to now fulfill his end of the bargain. And God is using this as an occasion against them. So now he goes and he slays 30 men of them, of the Philistines, and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. So these must be nice clothes. He sees them, he slays these men, takes their clothing off them. And his anger was kindled. And he went up to his father's house. So he's really furious about this. But Samson's wife was given to his companion whom he had used as his friend, or I guess the indication there would be they kind of gave him a best man. So during the whole wedding ceremony, this person would be sort of like the best man there because he's in the Philistine territory, not with any other Israelite, and uh, except his parents. And now he leaves in a huff. The father of the wife gives it gives the wife to the best man, to the friend. And so that's what, we'll leave it there. When we come back, God willing, next week, we'll see how all of this unfolds. But this is the, um, we're getting into the career of Samson, and it's really strange how, you know, we had three judges there that God doesn't inspire the author to give us any details. But boy, are we going to get a lot of detail from Samson. And one thing we're going to see very clearly, what a flawed human being, what a flawed human being. But in the end, he does have an act of faith that causes him to be written in the Hall of Faith. So here we are. We're in the career of Samson. Um, God willing, we'll return to this next week. Brethren, thanks so much for joining us. What an awesome God we serve. Uh, God bless you.